Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Andrea Pearson. And we are back from our summer hiatus today, and we're going to be talking to you about things to look at if you've maybe published a few books or even more than a few books, but you're not getting the kind of traction you were hoping for. You know, maybe you're making a few hundred or a few thousand dollars a year, but you'd really like to get to the, you know, kind of get on the path where you're earning a full-time income from your writing. So we're just going to kind of go through a list of things you might look at, common things that we see, because a lot of times... uh Andrea actually does do coaching, but even those of us who don't, we get people coming up to us and saying, hey, <laughs> my books aren't selling, what's up? So I actually had a few com- different conversations this summer that were remarkably similar in what I perceived as kind of was holding things back probably. So we will be talking about those. But before we jump into the main subject, do you guys have any news that you want to catch up, catch people up with before we jump in? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go first because my name's first. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've had a fairly chaotic summer that started with an awful move that I kind of lo- moaned to um, Lindsay and Joe about, but everything that could go wrong did. It was horrible. We're still not done. Uh, we had accidental fire stitches, a puppy that came to stay for a month, visits from the sheriff, a very, very active toddler who has the stitches. I sprained my ankle and I'm going to be having surgery on that ankle. I find out tomorrow when that surgery will be. Um, but with everything going on, I've been fairly productive where business things are concerned. Uh, I got the second book in my romance series published. I have not told anybody it exists yet because there's a couple of things I want to get in place first that, um, will change how I, um, approach it to people approach with it, what a approach people with it. And so I'm like, I just want to have a few things set in place first. And I've been focusing on something else in the meantime. Um, Anyway, so I've been working a ton on, um, a ton on four different, like on audiobooks, things like that. And I've got, uh, four or five audiobooks that are finished and ready for, um, waiting and ready to get edited so they can get uploaded. And, um, it's been a lot of fun. I've got different narrators that have been, uh, narrating books for me. Um, so I'm, I was, wasn't going to say anything, but I'm just going to tell you guys how I came about this. Um, I realized that if I waited until finances fell into place for me to hire narrators, it would never happen because I have, I have hypermobility syndrome. I've had, this will be my 16th surgery. Um, my royalties have paid for all of our medical emergencies and they will pay for this one too. <laughs> so I'm like, if I wait for, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting over bronchitis. If I wait for money to fall into place, it ain't going to happen. So a few months ago, I emailed my list and I was like, and some of you are on my list, so you already know this, but I emailed my list and I was like, guys, I've always wanted to have my books become audiobooks, but it's never been able to happen. And I had an idea. I, I want to do this where I upload my books to YouTube and possibly other, um, retailers, you know, all the different retailers. And I'm like, I'm looking for volunteer narrators who I could pay $500 per full length book and a little bit less for, you know, not a full length book. Um, who like maybe people who are, are inexperienced narrators or actors or somebody, you know, people who are trying to get into the business and don't have a way in yet. Like if you know anybody or if any of you are interested, then let me know. I have like 500 people reach out to me. And so for a couple of weeks, I was going through narration samples and I had a lot of, um, uh, hobbyists who messaged me and they were really good, but I also had some very 
very phenomenal narrators and voice actors, like actual voice actors who do voiceover for cartoons and things like that. One of which does them for Hollywood. And they'd been wanting to break into being narrators for audiobooks, but they didn't have any connections. And they were new, so new that like they knew that they wouldn't, it would be a long time. And then COVID, one of them, COVID hit her really badly and authors stopped reaching out to her to get um, books narrated. And so I've got four professional narrators. Two of them are voice actors who have been narrating my books. And um, like I said, I've got like four or five that are waiting in the, you know, the background. I forgot to silence my phone, silencing my phone and it's silenced. And um, I've got them, I've got a bunch that are waiting in the, you know, just waiting until somebody has time to edit them. <laughs> that somebody is my brother, Josh. He's getting married. <laughs> so his time is super short. He's not going to be able to <coughs> help me get the files ready for audiobook distribution for a while. So for the time being, I'm only uploading to YouTube. Um, also, Josh, who is the producer of our show, is marrying our nanny. So those of you who are not on Facebook and didn't see my announcement about that, we're pretty happy about that. I mean, I kind of was like, oh, I should get a nanny. Oh, I should find a wife for my brother. <laughs> so it worked out really great there fantastic together. So I'm pretty happy about that. So if you want to marry off a single sibling or somebody in your family who's single, get a nanny. <laughs> it's a great idea. That can work both ways because I'm going to date myself here, but you guys remember who's the boss from the eighties? I do. I would hire Tony Danza back then. I don't know what he looks like now. That was like 40 years ago in a heartbeat. If I had kids, I needed to help help with maybe for the dogs, but, um, I'll let you go with his news. <laughs> it sounds like you're talking about writing a romance novel. It sounds like, it sounds like, uh, uh, you know, you can definitely pinch that and use it for a, for a plot, I'm sure. Uh, okay, so for me, uh, most of the time that I've spent recently has been dedicated to writing and releasing the new epic fantasy series. Um, I have released two books already. One of the most recent one came out at the beginning of this month, I believe, or the end of last month. I've already forgotten because I'm writing the third one right now. I'm, 60,000 words into that. It's going to be edited in October. So I need to make sure that I get it done. Uh, the launch has been okay. It hasn't blown me away. It hasn't turned around my sales numbers at all, but it's, you know, still it's, it's, it's fine. Uh, I'm going to work on it a little bit better. And as, as additional books come out, uh, in it, I'm going to be continually everything we're going to talk about funneling people back to the first book. I've also got a couple other like oddball releases that are going to be coming out. There's a, the book that I wrote in NaNoWriMo last year is basically a ready player one thing. And, uh, I, I've been calling it a pseudo lit RPG. Now that's going to light the world on fire. Um, that's ready to be deployed. I just got the cover. The cover's got to get some finishing touches on it, but like it's pretty much done. My Patreon story collection, Paradoxes and Dragons 2, is up for pre order right now. It comes out on the 14th. Um, again, I'm not even really going to promote that because it's, it's, it's a short story collection and we've spoken about how those are hard to sell. So this is just basically, I try not to have anything hidden behind a paywall. So this is a year's worth of Patreon stuff for people who didn't want to follow me on Patreon. Now they can just buy it as a book. Uh, and other than that, I have been, um, just sort of buried a lot of non-book biz stuff. Uh, it's been a not, not as productive a hiatus as I had hoped. No one's fault of my own. It's a focus thing that I need to improve. But, uh, overall, that's, that's what I got going on. I'm looking forward to putting out the next book of this series. It's been a lot of fun to write something new. All right. And from, well, I should say we have had, 
actually things happened this summer while we weren't recording. Kindle Vela came out for serial people. And um, also Amazon now allows authors to do A plus content, which is sort of like you've probably seen the pages where you scroll down and there's like a bunch of images and extra kind of stuff about the story on the page. And I haven't played with either of these yet. I, I probably won't play with Kindle Vela. I'm not really that interested in that, but we'll see if we can get somebody on to talk about these things. Um, and eventually I will do the A plus thing because I saw, I think Dave Chesson had an article on his site mentioning that it actually is kind of increasing conversion a little bit, maybe like three or four or 5% or something like that. So if you can get together the extra images and things that go in there, it's, it's one of those things that some people have had for a while, but uh, self-published authors haven't. So it's, it's cool that we have that out now as an option. Uh, you might want to just do it. Like if you've got a huge series, first book in each series might be, you know, cause then you hope the books hooked people. So you don't need to sell them on every subsequent book probably for uh, personal stuff. I decided I had my parents come visit this summer for like four weeks, six weeks, couple <laughs> they were somewhere else first and I visited them there and then they came here. And so it was good because I hadn't seen them there in another state and hadn't seen them since before the COVID stuff started. So it had been quite a while. Uh, and I knew that it would be distracting. We have between us four dogs. So <laughs> it was crazy. Even though I live in the country on a bunch of land, the dogs want to go in and out and run around and, and tear up every, everything, you guys. If you do not have boulders in your yard for your dog you should dogs love boulders because lizards go under the boulders and then dogs dig long after the lizards are gone the dogs are still entertained by the boulders all of you with landscaping are being horrified right now but hey out here it doesn't matter um, but for professionally, I decided to just take a break from my epic fantasy series. I did have the third one written, so that just published last week as we're recording this. And, uh, you know, it did pretty, it did pretty decently since it's got a bunch of pre-orders and, uh, these are pretty long and they're in Kindle Unlimited. So it, it is, they are getting a nice page read stuff, even though they haven't really been like as ranked as highly as some of my other series that I've released. So it, it's kind of evened out. It, they've been doing okay. And, um, but yeah, I decided to work on something fun this summer. So I'm doing three short contemporary fantasy novels. I originally was thinking of them as like witch cozies or werewolf cozies or something like that, but I am not very good at uh, actually writing the thing <laughs> that is popular. So I'm just calling them adventure stories now with a, a little romance and I will be rapid releasing them, but there's only three. So I don't know that that's going to break in the big dollars or anything, but I know I did want to do 99 cents on the first book. So I'm going to put the second one out right after that. So I can, you know, justify paying for the advertising on that. And then the third out probably a month later, I've, these are short. They're like 65,000 words, which for me is quite, quite short. I'm not sure I have anything else really that's uh, consistently been that short. So they've been fun. They didn't require a lot of brain power, which was what I was looking for this summer. And I, I'll see how they do. I'm not going to spend a lot of money advertising them, but uh, we'll be getting to work on the fourth epic fantasy this fall. Things should be back to normal. Days a little shorter, so you don't mind being indoors, right? All right. Oh, did you guys, I wanted to ask before we jumped into the topic, did either of you try anything with Kindle Vela or the A-plus content? Or do you know, have you heard about it from <laughs> any of your peeps? I've got one author friend who's tried it and has not liked the process. And then Nolan, my my esposo, which by the way, a lot of our listeners thought Josh was my husband, <laughs> which kind of I thought was funny. They're like, wait, Josh is getting married again? 
Well, isn't that allowed in Utah? I don't know. There's some rules there that are a little different, aren't there? Oh, I'm going to get hate mail from all the Utah people. It's Andrew's uh, fault. It's, it's my fault. It's so my fault. Um, anyway, so um, Nolan tried it out as a reader and he said it was not fun. It was not a fun experience. And it's his kind of thing. Like he was way into like the short pulp fiction type, type stuff like Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft and M.R. James. Those are like, those would be perfect for Vela. And that's what he likes. And he hated it. So <laughs> I haven't looked into Vela. I did look into Vela. I looked into Vela just to see uh, what sort of stuff was uh, they would consider appropriate to release because I've had several serials in the past that I've packaged up in different ways. And they were pretty clear that they don't want you reusing anything. And I really didn't want to do a new serial right now, especially not in the midst of writing uh, what will hopefully be at least five pages, of, uh, five uh, volumes of a new epic fantasy. So I didn't want to take on a, a, a serial. So I haven't messed with that too much. A-plus content, I was aware that it existed. And I sort of had it on my list of when I get a moment uh, and I catch up on what I'm trying to work on, let me look into this. And so all I have is somewhere a piece of paper that's A-plus question mark on it. I was like theorizing what it even was. Like, is this like children's stuff? Hmm. Look into A-plus. <laughs> so now I know. And frankly, if that's the case, if I can do all those fancy pictures and whatnot. I do have a considerable amount of ancillary artwork associated with my stuff. So I, I might uh, I might give it a try once again. I get a few moments, uh, probably after October when I get this book out to the, uh, the editor. Yeah, I think I've seen in some of them. I mean, that would be great for your artwork. You could actually put or extra stuff in there. I've seen a lot of people just slice up the book cover. So I don't think it necessarily has to be, but it looks good. I don't know. Usually it looks good when you scroll down. All right, but let's jump into our main topic 15 minutes later. And uh, it's, it's too bad the blog. I don't know. I mean, there's probably a way to do timestamps so people can jump around in the podcast if they if they don't care about our news. But uh, I do like that on YouTube when uh, you're listening to stuff and the people who actually put the timestamps, you can jump around. It's nice. But our main topic we're jumping into now, how to go from hobby money to earning a full-time income from your books. Number one, I think we've got seven, seven or eight things for you guys, so... First one, focus on one specific niche in one specific genre. Uh, as I said, I've had a few different conversations with people this summer who do not know each other, have no reason to uh, be chatting each other up on talking strategies or anything. And, you know, they've been, all of them have been kind of bummed, whether they said it or not, <laughs> you kind of sense that they're bummed that uh, they've published maybe 10 or 15 books over the years, but they're not anywhere near like the income, like, you know, the 20 books to 50K group, like once you 20, publish 20 books, you should ideally be earning $50,000 a year is sort of the theory or hypothesis, I guess, behind that group. And lots of people in that group have found success doing that. But the common thread I'm seeing with the people who are not anywhere close to that mark, but have quite a few books out is the genre hopping. And we've talked about how, you know, if you've tried one series in one genre and you've tried everything, you know, new covers, new blurbs, taking all the things you've learned along the way, and you didn't gain any traction, maybe you want to try something else in another genre that you also enjoy that seems maybe more commercially viable. But you can't keep bouncing around. If you've done two genres, stop 
analyze which one did the best, and then focus on the most promising one, and then write 20 books in that niche, that specific genre. And I know 20 is a lot, but the whole premise really is based on gradually building a fan base by satisfying the people you get and giving them more of what they want. So fans are picky. I know as authors, as writers, we often are like passionate about reading and we'll read lots of different things, whether we're a super fan of the genre or not. But you have to realize that a lot of real a lot of readers, they like their one or two things that they like and they're not going to stray out of that. So if people came to your first series because they like that concept and that genre, and but they're not readers of the next genre that you jump to, it's really asking a lot to get them to follow you over to that. So essentially, you're starting over every time from scratch, basically. Maybe you get three or four people to follow you, but you're essentially starting your 20 books over again every time you start a new genre. So, And you may think, oh, but they're all romance. Like... I'm doing cowboy romance and then that didn't work so great. So now I'm going to try a small town contemporary romance. And it's like, oh, well, you know, I think that the modern big city billionaire romance is what I really want to do next, but too different. You know, I mean, I'm not saying some readers won't read them all, but a lot of readers, they just read in their specific thing. And if you look at most of the successful indie authors out there, especially they've made their names and gathered their fans by writing 10 to 20 novels in one subgenre. Um, even though, and I feel like we're not a good influence on this because we all genre hop. And even though this is something I do now, I actually wrote two, I think about eight novel high fantasy series before starting my pen name or switching to the sci-fi. And I continue to jump back and publish books in that sort of high slash epic fantasy genre. So if you're successful, you can genre hop later, but if you do it early on before you've gained any traction, you're really going to be shooting yourself in the foot. You're just basically, like I said, starting over again each time. What do you guys think? I have thoughts. <laughs> um, I totally agree. Uh, the, and um, <clears throat> the number one issue my clients have where success is concerned is genre hopping before they've established themselves, like what you were saying. Um, they release a book or two in one genre, then feel like they failed when that book doesn't make a big splash and they switch to another genre, or they've got these ideas that are just burning to be told. And they're like, well, it's in a different genre. It shouldn't be a big deal because they're all speculative fiction or they're like, you're saying all romance or whatever. Um, success in this field is kind of worshiped. Like we, when we hear a big story, everybody talks about it. And that person gets invited on all the podcasts and it's just, it's, it's like really exciting and really discouraging at the same time. Um, I mean, we, everybody hears about it and you read about it in the different, all the different websites and everything and all the different Facebook groups and hearing success stories can make you feel like you're doing something wrong. Um, but in no other industry would people expect to put one product on the market and then sit back and enjoy the fruits of their labors for the rest of their life or even the next couple of years. So like, like one of the examples that I was thinking about earlier was, um, a custom home builder, like building one house, even a huge mansion wouldn't generate enough money to live off of for the rest of your life. Um, I would have to say building a house is more difficult than writing a book. There's a lot of background for both of them, but there's years and years of apprenticing and learning and practicing that goes into a career long before anyone would trust somebody to build a whole house for them. But that said, I know several custom home builders in my city because this is a place where they build on big property and build big houses. They, they're taking home a high six figures every year. Um, and my point with this is, don't put, I mean, put your eggs in one basket where genres are concerned until you see success. So don't just write one book in a, or two books in a couple in one genre and then switch to another genre, write one or two books, because that's the same as basically starting over every time. Um, 
And then also don't allow yourself to get discouraged when you do decide to hop genres. Recognize that it's going to take a few years either way, but that work is going to be a lot harder if you do switch your genre up. And so, I mean, if, if we're like the whole point of this podcast is to go from, um, part-time to full-time. I mean, if you, you're just making it a lot harder for yourself when you switch genres. And again, we're like really excited about, um, about these, these stories that we want to tell. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I don't care. You write what you want to write. Just recognize that it will take longer or you might not ever get to that career author position that you want to be in. I mean, especially for people like me, I would be writing thrillers and mysteries and romance and fantasy and sci-fi if I didn't know better. <laughs> um, I'll, uh, it, Lindsay's right about, uh, in particular about we're sort of a bad example in this regard because I also genre hop my, I mean, in my first three books, there were two different genres. And, uh, in my first, whatever, six books, there were three different genres. Like I, I genre hopped a lot, but even if you're successful at it and uh, it was a lot easier to be successful 10 years ago than it is now, it was sort of during the gold rush period that I was doing that. You can still see that you're fracturing your audience. Um, I, all the time I will do, I was doing polls and I was like, what should I write next? And there was, it was a, you know, not, it was not a, a clear winner in any case. I had one third, one third, one third of people trying to get me to write the next book in the genre that they read. And there are a lot of people who were very, very enthusiastic about one of the genres and couldn't care less about the others. And they were effectively only one third of a fan in that case, which is fine. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have them, but, uh, you know, it, it, it it really underscores how difficult it is, even when you're changing only very slightly. Like technically I'm writing a new epic fantasy right now and people who have read my other stuff are following through. But I'm getting a lot of comments about how, well, this is uh, this is pretty different than your other one. This is a lot less standard epic fantasy. So you really, uh, if you're hoping to get a really solid audience that follows you with a gigantic amount of read through, then you're gonna wanna stay pretty focused. Yeah, it's always hard to please the people that basically want you to do more of the thing that they liked exactly. <laughs> you know, like, could you, or even just go back, could you do more of those same characters? I get that a lot. Are you going to do any more with this one series? I'm like, uh, maybe someday. Uh, never shut everything off, but, uh, it is hard. You know, we are artists too. We do have the muse and we always have all these different ideas. Like Andrea said, you might want to write in six different genres and have a whole bunch of ideas. But I think if you want to, do this full time and maybe even get to six figures since that's our podcast title. You really have to focus on one genre and one niche and you can do some side projects, especially if you're more prolific, you can more prolific, you can get away with more. Like that's probably why I've been able to get away with it sort of because I'm able to write enough sci-fi and fantasy and keep publishing in those two genres that, you know, compared to like a traditionally published author who might only come out with one a year. I'm like, I'm there even in the genre that I haven't been working on necessarily. So uh, if you can write fast, it might be easier, but you'll see so many people. I mean, I know when I look in the fantasy list, the various urban fantasies and, and whatever, you'll see the, the same authors always at the top and they're just publishing more and more. I mean, me as an outsider not having read them, I'm like, is that a new series? It sounds exactly like the other series that I looked at by you. I'm not saying you have to do that, but you know, the, the more you can give your fans what they want, once you've got fans, the, the easier it is to keep the ball rolling and gain more fans and get more success. And like I said, you can always have a pen name on the side or do the occasional side project. So don't feel like you have to sell out or, you know, I assume people who do 
very similar sounding series. They, that's what they really like and enjoy. I, you know, I feel like it's hard to force it if that's not your thing. I mean, you just may want to, like me, I've done dragons a number of times and it's just become a fun thing for me that, and my readers enjoy the dragons and I somehow seem to get them in almost everything. So it's probably just something that, that those authors enjoy. All right. Next one is check your covers and your blurbs. We have covered this a lot, I know, but when people ask me to look at their books because they've been publishing for a while and not making much headway, covers are often part of the problem. Like you can tell at a glance, my initial reaction is like, yeah, yeah, sorry, I'm, I can see why you're not selling well before I even look at the blurb. So we are past the days where you could just slap up a DIY cover on an ebook and it would sell because there wasn't that much competition in the Kindle store. Uh, you need a professional cover. You need it to look like it belongs in your genre. If your cover sticks out from the other covers in the top 100 books in your genre, that is very likely a problem. Very occasionally, I'll see someone get away with it. This, it's just amazing, or it's kind of a callback. We talked about this before to like a different, like, uh, you know, I remember, oh, I forgot his name. We had him on the show, he, but he was doing the uh, 80s. It, it kind of looked like 80s sci-fi. It was a totally a callback to uh, stuff you were familiar with. So then you're attracting the readers that maybe have not seen what they want to read in the current offerings. And they were like, oh yes, that totally reminds me of like covered Dune or something like that, that I read as a kid. So that's possibly it can work, but your safest road is just going to do a cover that looks like all the other stuff that's selling well in your genre. Remember, as we've talked about already, people, when they go surfing for books, they're looking for more of what they know they like. Like they want something a little different maybe, but they want it to mostly be kind of the same, same tropes and things that are, they've uh, maybe grown up reading or just uh, started loving reading lately. And do not be your own judge for this. I don't know, we're really horrible judges uh, about our own stuff. Just ask successful authors in your niche. You know, most people are not going to read your book for you. So please don't email some successful author in your genre and ask them to read your book. But glancing at the covers only takes a second. So, you know, they, they might get time to answer that. Um, at the least, talk with a cover designer who's doing a lot of covers in your genre because those guys are pretty usually pretty dialed in. They may be doing like, if there's a team, maybe they're doing 10 urban fantasy covers a month and they just know exactly that. That girl with the glowy hand and the black leather, that stuff is selling. So that's what you need on the front. And, you know, you can be a little different once you've got the readers. Like maybe you want to go a little different on book five. Nobody's going to care at that point. They're either in the series or they, they don't care about you. So, but for book one, especially, make sure you, you're really kind of nailing what's already selling in your genre. Go ahead, Andrew, if you want to chime in. I do want to chime in. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, I'm going to hit on that, what you just were talking about, the need for your cover to look like it belongs in your genre again, because it is really important. Um, it's fine to go with something that stands out, but the vast majority of covers that stand out don't succeed. And now I'm going to apologize to Robert Frost <laughs> because sticking to the well-traveled road is a better rule of thumb where book covers are concerned. Um, we've, we've had people on the show and, um, who had like, I don't remember, but is this the same author you were talking about? Like super, they, they fell in line with the traditionally published books. Is that what you were talking about? No. And I'm sorry, I'm totally forgetting his name, but they kind of look like the Mandalorian covers. There's like the lone okay. guy in the desert instead of the spaceship battle for sci-fi. Oh, not J it's not, that one's not Jason on Spock, right? It might be. <laughs> Joe will know. Well, Joe's their trivia guy. He actually remembers things. I don't <laughs> remember who we talked to before the hiatus. <laughs> Joe's Joe like, no. remember disappointing <laughs> Joe. Oh my well, goodness. We had, we had a, a woman author on. <laughs> 
Sarah Rose, maybe Sarah Rose, I don't know, but her book covers match traditionally published book covers and she was rocking it. And because um, for like dystopian fiction, she had like a simple image and very, very simple covers that were very striking. Um, there are very few and far between examples of authors who m try to make things that are different and actually succeed. So your goal, don't, don't go for that because when you're, especially when you're starting out or if you're struggling in any way, you want to replicate as closely as possible what the best selling authors are doing. So, so don't try to be super, super, you know, different. Um, just, yeah, just pay attention to what, what people are doing who are in your genres that are, who are doing really well. Um, and then where descriptions are concerned, um, long gone are the days where a single paragraph will sell a book. And, and this is something I'm also seeing, you know, when people approach me, you know, asking for help, like they'll have one paragraph, maybe two paragraphs, uh, about, uh, for a description for their books. Um, you need to be taking advantage of HTML. So, you know, have, have a hook that starts and it's catchy and it's just, you know, catchy it catches readers attention. Um, have that be a bold. And by doing that, I mean, you do that by doing the brackets with B and then, you know, at the end of what you want to bold, you do like a slash and close brackets or whatever. Um, you can look it up. <laughs> it's pretty easy to do. Um, then after that hook, you're going to want to have two to three solid paragraphs of main description, not a synopsis before ending with a call to action that is also bolded. Make sure the meat of your description, so those two to three solid paragraphs, brings up the conflicts of the story and not just the plot conflicts, conflicts, but character conflicts as well. Like, why do readers care about this? Why, why, why should they care about this? And, um, it's really hard to recognize in your, like, exam, like Lindsay was saying with book covers, the same thing with descriptions. Like, it's really hard to recognize on your own if your descriptions are good or not. So having somebody else look at them is a good idea. Um, I know that, like, Brian Cohen still has his, his book, his, uh, Facebook group, I believe for, you know, selling for authors or whatever that people post their descriptions in there. So you can go and you can post your description in there, give feedback on other people and their cover our descriptions and then ask for feedback on yours. Um, but also read descriptions for best selling books. Uh, sorry in, um, in your genre and see what they're doing. Alex Newton's Calytics reports are really fantastic for that because he includes descriptions at the end of each of them. So, I mean, honestly, like it's, I would say probably 10% of the authors who approach me have their descriptions and their covers down pat and the rest don't. So check your description in your cover before you wonder why readers aren't downloading your books. And I feel like apologizing. I, I feel like giving people hugs because it's hard, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is not fun, fun stuff to have to listen to. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> if you have uh, listened to the show or the previous podcast, uh, uh, you, you know that I, I've told the story a dozen times. I invested the first $3,000 I made off of my books into getting new covers for my first three books. And then I was making three to five times the amount of money the following month. Now, again, this was during the gold rush, but recovering the books was a gigantic improvement. And it was something like, we're not just talking about make sure you've got a good cover, but you can revitalize a book by giving it a new cover. And I, I've never gone back and changed my blurbs, but I feel like I'm long overdue for it. Uh, Lindsay and Andrea have been bugged by me throwing in uh, blurbs for the past two books just to see how I'm doing. Uh, blurbs are not an area of strength for me. Covers are an area of strength for me. And even that being the case, there's at least two books in my in my uh, library right now that I'm thinking about putting a new cover on and relaunching because they've been out for long enough. The covers are different enough from my other stuff. Uh, I just think they could, they could uh, be improved. And also just a couple of side things. We keep on talking about try to look like everybody else. 
and how it's not a great idea to to stand out. It's think of it as investments, right? You can invest in you know basically day trading and go for the thing you hope is going to explode, and that is standing out. Or you can invest in like the index fund and get you know steady, fairly reliable performance, and that's you know matching the the genre. Either way, you can succeed, but one of them is much more volatile than the other, and you're much more likely to lose your money that way. And uh, when it comes to cover cover artist versus cover designer, uh, there's a lot of fantastic illustrators out there who will give you a, an illustration that looks fantastic on a book cover. The cover uh, designer is also going to know where to leave dead spots for uh, for text to be put, and it'll put the text on there. Some Illustrators are cover designers, uh, and some cover designers are not illustrators. They'll get stock stuff, but it's important to realize that there's two parts to every cover. There's the artwork and there's the text, and uh, they they are sometimes completely separate skill sets. So be mindful of both of them. Yeah, there's usually a handful of fonts that are really used frequently in certain genres, obviously by traditional publishing, but we kind of end up emulating them too. And it's like, you can't really go wrong with those. If you do something different, it becomes more like, eh. you know, I remember my very first fonts were kind of comic book looking because that the artist did it. I didn't know there was, I didn't know anybody that did the typography stuff. Um, yeah. So that can actually take like a good looking, otherwise good looking cover and make it look just like not like something's off here. Something doesn't seem right because you're just giving them a font that's not traditionally seen on covers in that genre. And uh, Andrea had good points about blurbs too. It's a, uh, they're, they're another thing where we, fail easily. <laughs> we, you only have a couple of paragraphs and people try to put so much information in there. Like there probably shouldn't be more than a name or two names, you know, don't name everything. Fantasy authors were the worst of this. We're like the vile fortress of solitude where the dragon smog is coiled up and prepared to lash out on the town of whatever, you know, all the proper names and stuff. It just, it's, it becomes too much. So keeping it simple is a good idea. I always recommend, and I often refer back to it as a, I'm like Joe, I don't really feel blurbs are a strength of mine. I mean, I think they're okay, but I always put, end up putting it up feeling like, well, fine. I'm just tired of, <laughs> tired of fiddling with it, you know, and my beta reader said it wasn't horrible. Like Libby Hawker has a book called, uh, gotta, my dog just pushed the door open to come in. All right. Dogs are here. Got to read it. Five simple steps to a fiction pitch that sells. And that's kind of like for the synopsis to get the query of the agent. Or also she's talking about the blurb that you're going to write on your product's description page when you do your book. And uh, she, even if you don't want to support her, it's a 99 cent book, guys. But if you don't want to do that, she also has a YouTube video up that goes over in about 15 minutes. And uh, sometimes when it's not coming together for me real well, I'll, I'll go back and remind myself to like, okay, I need to get what I need to get in there. The most important thing is the reader has to, why should I care? You have to answer that question. Why should the reader care? And what's at stake if they fail? You know, those are two important things to get in that I often, I often read blurbs of books that, you know, people ask me about that aren't doing that well. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if I particularly want to read this after read the blurb didn't like tell me what's at stake or why I should care. You can't assume readers are going to care about your character after, you know, a couple of paragraphs, but something you got to get something in there that makes them kind of sympathetic and you want to read about them. If you can, it's a lot to do. No, no joke. I, I fully admit it after how, however many novels I've written and blurbed, I still, every time I got to write one, I'm like, Oh man, the blurb. Yeah. 
But um, I will put the links in the show notes. I think this ends up being episode 97 since we put up that Q&A last week or whatever. Uh, so I'll put the Libby Hawker links in the show notes. All right. Next one is number three. Focus on your winners. Um, one of the, This is going to be, again, for the people who have written and published a few books, maybe even a couple series, uh, you know. One of the third, one of the good things about getting to the point where you have multiple series out is you have a lot of data if you're willing to kind of crunch the numbers and you want to figure out sort of like which series did well or at least did better than the other series. Uh, you know, which series like sold best, you know, sell through, you know, which one had the most people going on from books one to two, three, four in the series. Uh, did it drop off at any point? Was there something you did? Did you do cliffhangers? Did you not do cliffhangers and wrap everything up too neatly? Are there some series, and this has been my experience with multiple series written. There's some series where that first book one converts a lot better as far as advertising. Uh, like I, I have a, my urban fantasy series I did last year. I think maybe the only series I've done where I actually made the ads profitable on book one, you know, and part of that is just keeping it high enough in the rankings that you're also getting some organic sales because that was a pretty expensive genre as far as Amazon ads was we were talking about per click. But a lot of times it's more like, well, lose money on book one, but you make it because it's an eight book series you make back. So, and you can kind of play around with that and see, and I should mention one thought I forgot to include on the thing about blurbs is I actually, ads are another way you can kind of test your blurb. When I launched my Epic Fantasy series, the first book, I decided it's kind of an ensemble cast. There's not really one hero. I decided to do kind of a grand, you know, om omnipresent, I don't know what you want to call it, <laughs> blurb style that kind of is talking about the characters in general instead of focusing on one character. And I have seen that done in Epic Fantasy. So I gave it a shot and they ads were not converting that well. Uh, so I redid it all, even though it didn't, I didn't think it went as well with the cover, but I did a blurb focused on a single character, which I'm pretty sure Libby recommends in her book that you focus on a single character, no matter what uh, romance maybe being the exception where you're going to get male and female point of view or whatever. I won't assume it doesn't have to be male and female, but you know, the two point of views of the romantic couple in there. Um, but yeah, and then I tried the ads again, same ads, everything the same, same bid price. And the second version definitely converted more, you know, more a uh, sale more frequently in X number of clicks. So that is one way you can test it. If you have a little bit of money to spend, you got to do like an A and B, you know, you got to first figure out how well it's doing on the first one, then change it and then uh, see how well it does in the second. But, um, so yeah, like I said, whatever you find once you kind of crunch the data is that, you know, one of them is probably going to be more of a winner than the other one, even if neither of them or none of the many that you have, have made as much as you were hoping, you'll probably kind of see the pattern that one does better than the others. And then you kind of know like, okay, I'm going to put more advertising dollars, more time towards promoting this one. Maybe you do more in that series, more in that subgenre, you know, if your muse allows it. You, you don't have to necessarily do like a spin-off series or keep it going for 20 books in a series, but, you know, think of another series, similar subgenre, concept, et cetera, you know, AKA do more of what worked in the past in the future. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, okay. So recognize a couple of things here. Uh, you're not going to be able to tell which series is a winner at the start of your career. It takes time and books get noticed, like Lindsay said. Um, and when you have multiple books out, then you can figure out which sold the best and create more like it. Um, by that point, you should have a solid handle on writing itself. 
you can take what you did well in that best series and do better in the next series. And a lot of the time, authors who are just starting out, they might, they have, you know, I mean, it takes a little while to learn how to write a book that people will read. And it takes time to figure out how to write efficiently. So not just writing stories that people want to read, but writing them efficiently. And so in the beginning, I mean, expecting to have huge success in the beginning is, I don't know, I think all of us do it. And I I did it definitely, but it takes a little bit of, um, of recognizing that maybe your book isn't as perfect as you thought it would be. And just kind of going from there. Um, but by the time you have several books out in a couple different series, it just, you have a, you have a better idea of what people want to read. And then, like I say, you can take what, what you did really well in your best selling series and do better in the next series. Um, and important, an important note thing to hear, no thing to note here. Oh my gosh. English. Most, most authors won't have a breakout novel. I mean, I, barely know a very small handful of authors who've had a breakout novel. So just because your best-selling series isn't bringing home six figures doesn't mean you can't eventually bring home six figures by writing more of that best-selling series. So that series will attract readers who will want more of that kind of stuff and putting out more and more of your good stuff will keep them coming back. And eventually after time and after a large backlist and hard work, you, you'll find success. That, I mean, it's not, it's like, it's not the definition of insanity because, um, you know, doing the same thing over and over and expecting success, you see success small and it gradually grows and it, it takes time, consistency and a large backlist and it's possible still is just, yes. Anyway, so we're trying to tell you the things that you can do to stack things in your favor. So that was, that was my point there with that is that, um, um, yeah, take your best series and write more of it. Like Lindsay was saying, and, uh, recognize that your best selling series might not be a breakout series, but that as you produce more books like that, you can become uh, a six figure author. I'll say that, uh, this is absolutely the case. Uh, and I agree. There's a couple of, uh, things you need to keep aware of. Uh, eventually series can get stale. You'll notice we often talk about six book and eight book series in general. Um, the longer a series is, the harder it is to get somebody to go back and start reading book one. Like they see, oh, this is book 16 in a series. I'm going to have to read 15 books in order to get to this one. There's, there comes a point where some people are thrilled. I was always very happy when I found out that I had gotten my hold, my hands on a series that had 30 books in it because that's my reading for the year figured out. But there are a lot of people who are like, oh, that's too much homework. Like they will see other, like I want to read a new book and this is an old book. So be mindful that there's not going to be 100% read through from book one to book two, book three to book four. Like there's going to be, it's going to taper off. There's diminishing returns. Be aware of that. So it's not always the smartest thing to write another book in your strongest series, even if it is your strongest series, uh, because over time, even that'll start to die off. So just keep good records on that and don't uh, put too much effort into something that maybe folks don't want to go back to the beginning of. And also, um, when it comes to what's working and we're talking about like raw sales, there's also just characters people engage with. If you haven't been making a lot of money yet, but you have been developing fans, uh, you know, you've got a handful of, of true fans who you can even talk to find out what they like best. Uh, because it might not be what you think they like best. You might, for example, in the second book of your most popular series, kill off a character that everybody likes. I'm not saying that I did that, but I, uh, uh I did that. So, <laughs> Just make sure that you're going to be giving people what they want 
And uh, I have gotten the core tenets of a uh, series, like an entire genre. I've focused on the wrong stuff and sometimes it worked out for me. Sometimes it hasn't, but w- <laughs> with sales, it's easy because it's numbers. You can compare numbers with actual content. You really have to talk to people because your judgment might differ from that of your audience. It is kind of funny how readers will like, some of them will love the character that you're kind of like, eh, that's not my favorite character to write. And you'll be surprised. I know I, I always am. And then the character you love to write, they're like, oh, that character's obnoxious. I don't even like his POVs. And like, what? That's my baby. <laughs> so definitely that, that could be true. Um, so we move on to the next subject. Number four, I feel like I was going to comment on something else, but it couldn't have been that important. Oh, just, I was thinking when Joe was saying, because I know you went back and I think Book of Deacon, you did a new one and nobody was expecting it. And I did like the exact same thing in my Dragon Blood series. It, it had been done. There weren't, you know, there weren't going to be any more. People weren't expecting more. And then a couple of years later, I'm like, I like these characters and I miss them. I'm going to do a new one. And it did fine, but you know, nobody was like waiting for it or expecting for it. And it's even now that, it's been out for years and it's, you know, I've linked in the back of seven and eight. It just, it feels like kind of tacked on, you know, it's not the most popular book in that series, despite being like the, the end before that was like good, you know, and then book eight was like the wedding book where everybody gets hooked up. This is what happens when you have a whole bunch of couples by the end of your series. But anyway, so yeah, I, I had much better luck with that, that world. I went and did a spinoff series with two new, younger characters like the next generation kind of and i brought in a lot of the characters i enjoyed and that did quite well so new series same world new possible starting point uh that can also be an option all right number four on my list here our list is to focus on novels you know, this is not a hard fast rule, but this is what I have found for me is true. If I, I need to focus on the novels and not look for any shortcuts, a lot of authors get excited. We were speaking of Kindle Vela earlier uh, when they see someone doing well with like serials or novellas. And it's not that you can't be successful with that kind of thing, but I know from my experience that it's the full length novels and nice meaty series that really sell best for me. And I've seen that for a lot of other authors too. And I, we've talked about before how Smashwords still, they publish, you know, at least for a while they were doing it annually, a lot of data just because they have, you talk about us having some data after having three, four series out. They have all the data from all the authors that are publishing. They know how well the books are selling. And one thing that Mark Coker said they often saw was that the best selling books on their platform and with their partners were the books that are over 100,000 words. Now, for those of you writing epic fantasy, you're like, well, of course, why would I write anything shorter than that? But there's a lot of genres where like, really? 100,000 words? Romance is really interesting. So it's not like you have to do that much, but I feel like, you know, not only do readers like getting a good deal for their money, they pay their $4.99 and they like getting a longer book, a longer story, but that also gives them more time to become more invested in the characters in the story. So in general, if you catch yourself looking for shortcuts, it's chances are it's not going to work out that well. And you might have been better served just focusing on, you know, writing a trilogy of novels instead of thinking, I'm going to do eight novellas or I'm going to do a serial of 10 or, you know, then they're all 20,000 words. Because after each one, the reader has to make the decision, do I buy the next one? Whereas, you know, with a book where they're, say they've read 150,000 words, you know, they're pretty into the stories at that point. <laughs> you know, you're pretty committed. You've had a long time to get to know stuff. So um, 
give it time if you're you're newer and that seems really daunting. I fully understand because that's how I was when I got started. I was like, I had only I've talked about this before. I had only two novels written when I decided to self-publish, and they weren't even they weren't the same series. <laughs> I had two book ones essentially. Um, but eventually, over time, you will accumulate a good-sized backlist. And if you're kind of struggling, check out. We've mentioned it a number of times on the show before, but Rachel Aaron's 2K to 10K. You know, she has a lot of good tips in there for just how to improve your productivity, get more words down. And you'll probably find too that we've talked about before, as you do more novels too, you do fewer editing passes. Generally, you just, you kind of get, get it in your head and don't have to think as consciously about all that stuff and get closer to a finished project product uh, after your first pass. Yeah. Um, even my longer books in genres that entertain novellas have done better than the novellas themselves. Um, there's a handful of subgenres, and I know we've interviewed a couple of people who write novellas and have done very well. Um, but yeah, there's a handful of, of subgenres where novellas perform really well, but even in those subgenres where author are authors writing full length novels who do even better. So for example, um, Western romance, you know, I know a lot of authors who write sweet Western romance, um, that, uh, that are novellas, you know, 20, 30,000 words, and they do really well. But I mean, Elena Johnson, <laughs> Liz Isaacson, she writes sweet Western romance, um, sweet Western romance. And she writes full length novels that are like 80 to hundred thousand words. And she does better. So like Lindsay said, don't focus on shortcuts. Um, that said, you do rec- need to recognize, and I do, I do speak to the people who are like me and have lives that are constantly falling apart. Um, you, you write to what you can do and then just recognize that you're limited at this point and your income's going to be limited. Um, I write shorter novels because it takes too long for me to release longer ones. I'm comfortable with that and the results because I know what to expect. And I've been doing that since 2015, I think is when I started writing shorter stories, shorter books. So my books went from 70 to 90,000 words per to 40 to 60,000 words per. My royalties got better once I started writing the shorter ones because I was releasing them more frequently and because they're very, very tightly packed action. There's not a lot of downtime in them. And so readers were just kind of gobbling them up. Um, I also know that if I, I know my series and my books would sell better if I were writing longer books, but I also know that I'd only release a book every two years, probably if I did that. So assess your career and your situation and decide how you want to approach things. If your season of life limits your writing time, do what you can to be more effective during that time, then have patience with yourself and your circumstances, because more likely than not, things will eventually ease up. So the end on that one. Uh, the only thing I can add here is uh, if you let's say you're shooting for 50,000 words or 100,000 words, and we talk about avoid shortcuts, we're not saying that you should take a 60,000 word book and find a way to make it 100,000 words. I, I see a lot of people during NaNoWriMo who are just are writing their first book, taking their first stab at writing a novel, and they see the 50,000 word mark. They say, okay, well, I just have to put a lot of words in every sentence and like put 75 uh, adjectives in every sentence and just fluff up your book. Your, your goal is not to write a book that reaches a word count or your goal is to fill a word count with your book. I don't know. It's a subtle difference, but there's a lot of people who don't seem to understand that you still have to be engaging with that length. Uh, so yeah, one of the shortcuts is filler and filler is is very with the possible exception of uh of epic fantasy people aren't inter- interested in any filler in epic fantasy you can have an entire chapter of world building if you want and sometimes people are going to eat it up 
But yeah, your, your, your goal is to actually write a book that that's, that's that length, not make a book that length. Right. And I will say too, I'm talking more towards people thinking like, oh, serials, oh, novellas, like if 60,000 words is normal for your genre, you know, that's fine. Uh, I'm not saying you have to do 150,000 word cozy mystery, but although you might be surprised, it might become a huge seller. You never know, because like I said, people like to get their money's worth if you can be entertaining and if the story actually wants to be that big. <laughs> Got a squeaky door, <laughs> another dog coming in. I shut the door and they're coming back in. If I could get them both in the house, we could just shut the door. But no, that doesn't happen. Uh, Andrew, the kids are like this, right? And then they don't yes. shut the door after they come in, right? They don't. And that's how we got mice in our last house. <laughs> oh, they that's why you moved, open. right? Yes. All right. A couple more to do here. Number five. Okay. So you don't have to write to market, but make sure you're publishing commercially viable books. Things that are like books that are selling well and, and that fit in a genre, you know, in a subgenre. Like, uh, you know, all, this is true of all the stores, but Amazon, I think, has the most categories now, kind of subgenres. So if you cannot say like, oh, yeah, my book fits in that category. And I have had this problem for like half of my career. So I know about writing stuff that doesn't fit neatly into a category. But ideally, you know, if you're starting a new series and you're planning from scratch and you can make things easier on yourself pick something that fits in a category and you know and it looks like it belongs uh, you, you know stuff that's i'm not gonna say proven sellers but you know the stuff that you see selling right something it doesn't have to be the same you know you don't have to be exactly the same of course you want to be creative and do your own thing but if you want to make a living as an author you know writing genre fiction you're gonna have to write some stuff that has commercial potential. And again, you can do the artsy stuff on the side, or you can do more of the artsy stuff once you've kind of gathered an audience and you've seen that they will follow you over and check out the other things you do. Uh, you know, so that is all I'm going to write on that. I'm going to go to the door again while Andrea talks. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> the opening of her door that yay! I was like, what the heck am I hearing? She's not here. So she can't, can't respond there. <laughs> um, but what Lindsay said, so Back when I was a, sorry, I'm going to cough for a second. It's of course right when I'm talking that that tickle happens in my throat and I can't control. Anyway, so um, back when I was a presenter at conferences that had a heavy focus on traditional publishing, I was applauded. I'm not even joking. I was applauded for not really knowing which genre my books fell into. So I was like, oh, warm fuzzies. I'm like, my books are like six series. Oh, it's a dog. Is that Willow? <laughs> She can't even ask January. Yes, guessing... sorry for the interruption. We, we've gotten out of the habit of doing the podcast this summer. So you're saying Cutter is still missing. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah, so I was applauded for having a book that could fit in like five different genres. Like they were like, that is that is totally the goal. That is like what we're aiming for, you know? I mean, like something that's fresh and never done before and nobody, you know, yeah, like the agents and things like that that attended those conferences just thought that was like the coolest thing in the world. Um, but I've long since come to the realization that blending genres isn't something an author who isn't established should do. Um, and sometimes it's not even something an author who is established should do. I mean, you can do it if you want to, right? But if, if you want to make money, sometimes that's just not going to work for you. Readers, especially now with everything that's going on in the world right now, people are seeking comfort and comfort and escapism, a lot of that comes from stuff that's familiar to them. And so, I mean, 
there's, you know, there's like the books that are terror and horrorizing and awful and all that, but they follow a certain formula that readers recognize. Um, anyway, so there's a fine line between writing what you're passionate about and writing things that no one will relate with. Uh, and if at all possible error on the side of relatability, which I'm like, we just crashed everybody's hopes and dreams, but we are telling you how to go from being a part-time author to a career author. And this is basically how we did it. So the end again, why do I keep saying that? I don't know. I'm uh, so a couple of things with this, like, um, we talked in the beginning of this, uh, episode about find a niche and stick in it. A niche can be very, very, very small. If you have an idea or you've written a book and you feel like it's an oddball, that doesn't mean it is. There could be an underserved niche that that serves, but you have to make sure you find it. You have to make sure that you know how to reach the people in that niche. So you're going to do more legwork, but so just you are technically have written to market if you're able to find a market. So just keep that in mind. That's a possibility for you. And also, uh, like talking about, um, just as a, I so often will do the do as I say, not as I do situation. I mentioned that I just put out the short story thing and it is a collection of science fiction and fancy short stories. And I could tell that if I was hoping for this to be a moneymaker, I did something wrong because I had to choose genres. And there is a science fiction anthology and collections genre. And there is a fantasy anthology and collections genre. There is not a science fiction and fantasy uh, anthology and collections genre. So I already know that if people are browsing and get to my book, which is not how most people are going to get to it. But if, if people get to my book through either of those genres, they're going to only like half of what's in the book. Like I have already, they, they're going to look at us and say, oh, this isn't exactly what I'm looking for and move on. Only people who are looking for just broadly a dual genre short story thing. So like this is not written to market and it's an example of what you shouldn't be selling. Uh, I'm releasing it because I already made my money off of it from Patreon. But like these are things to keep in mind. Yeah, I had an idea that I was going to do that. I was like, oh, this would be so much fun to do like Beauty and the Beast retellings. I do like three of them and each in one of my worlds. So there'd be like a sci-fi one, you know, contemporary fantasy one, a high fantasy one. And I was like, this is never going to sell. One might sell by itself, but I was thinking like do a collection of novellas. And I'm like, nah, I mean, maybe I'll still do it someday, but that'd be another one of those things where like, yeah, only the really hardcore fans <laughs> would be would go for that. All right, next one, number six. Just got a couple more, guys. Release books consistently. Not everybody can write six books or more a year, and that is okay. But if you can do three or four, it's better to release them consistently rather than worrying about doing a rapid release or something like that. Because um, then if you do that and you do boom, 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 all three, three of them, and then you don't release again for a year or more, people may kind of forget about you in that time. Um, and we've talked about this before, but releasing to a consistent schedule can help you become like a habit for the reader, something that they expect and that they start looking for if it's missing. Thing. So if you're going to release, say, tw twice a year, try to make it in the same months every year, like every January and Joe, or <laughs> every January and Joe, every January and July, Joe comes out with a new epic fantasy novel. And some of the readers start to expect that. And even if they're not the kind of people that are going to follow you on Facebook and sign up for your mailing list, well, they know every July, a new Joe book comes out that they want to check out. So they'll go look for it in, in the store. So there's a, definitely some power to becoming a regular part of somebody's schedule, even if it's once a year, you know, make it always in the summer. So people know like, oh yeah, that one author I really like comes out with one every summer. So I'm going to check for that. Yeah, this is something that I've kind of 
quite um, honestly failed miserably at. Um, most of the things that keep me from publishing quickly are usually kind of un- unexpected. So my upcoming in- ankle surgery, uh, it's impossible to plan around my next er- injury. So I don't know, since I don't know when that'll be because, you know, I don't know when I'm going to get in or injured. Um, that said, I do know that I have hypermobility syndrome and that I will get injured again eventually. And I can plan around that kind of like by making sure I've got a buffer, um, that I have things set in place. So if I do get injured, my house doesn't fall apart. Um, like I'm having a teenage girl come in once a week right now to help clean. And that's been hugely helpful. Um, Anyway, and I can, I also know what it's like to be pregnant, to have a newborn, to have a toddler, to homeschool. So I can plan around those things. So like, I think I've said this before, we want another kid. It's not going to happen for a while. I'm having surgery and my youngest is, you know, going to be like five by the time it happens. But, (laughs) um, I've done it enough. I know how my body responds. I can plan around that. So there's still that chaos and there's still that unexpectedness, but there's familiarity in it too. And so, um, anyway, so recognizing that a portion of my life or your life, if your life is also chaos, will always be chaotic, helps me focus the little time I do have. And um, I've said this before on the podcast that I wrote three books in the two years before I had my first child and I've written like 65 after since then. So kids have helped me be a lot more focused than I was before. I mean, I started writing um, in 2008 my daughter was born in 2012 and I finished three novels during that time. And so I like, I've been much more focused as an author, as a mom. Now, of course, now that my toddler's here, he's just a freaking pill. He's like this tiny little ball of energy. Who's never on the charts when it comes to height and weight and still loses weight most months, but he's like so freaking energetic. And he just, we've had 15 things break on the tile since moving in here and it's mostly him. And so I'm, constantly cleaning up messes. And so things have been extra chaotic since he was born. But once he gets to the point where we can reason with him, I think it'll calm down a little bit. And I'll be able to say, Hey, if you sit really quietly, <clears throat> or if you do this little tour or whatever, then, you know, I can, I'll give you a sticker or whatever. Cause he's still into stickers. So anyway, so, um, yeah, so my current life is going to calm down. Um, listeners who have current chaos, I mean, things are, things will get better and they will calm down. And the sun has set. I don't know if you can tell I'm like blue because <laughs> I don't have any of my podcasting lights set up. So I'm just, I'm like, I'm like a violet from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> uh, so what are the things with consistency? Um, Lindsay mentioned earlier, I had a fairly large gap between two books in my Book of Deacon series. The first three books wrap up very neatly into a trilogy, and then I ended up writing three more books. And there is a giant drop-off and read-through between books three and four, because people didn't expect, um, you know, didn't expect it to be a book four. And even when I pushed it, like, people will get to the end of three and feel satisfied. That gap is largely responsible for that. Also, the structuring of the story that didn't directly lead into a sequel but if i had released book four the same cadence that released books two and three then there wouldn't have been much of an issue getting people to follow through to it this is particularly a thing you should be keeping my uh, track of if you're genre hopping because i genre hopped but i basically had worked myself into a situation where i was releasing one book per genre per year so i had a very long cadence of release. I had a full year between books, but people sort of knew, oh, it's roundabout time for Joe to put out, or they could just look at my release schedule and say, oh, he just put out a free wrench book. The next book is going to be Book of Deacon and it's going to be coming out, you know, beginning of next year. Even at that scale, people sort of 
came to understand the consistency of it. Uh, meanwhile, if I had stuck to one genre, that would have been exactly the same thing, except triple, because I would have been releasing three books in that same genre in a row. But yeah, consistency is super duper important. It can really cause drops and read through if you're not paying attention. All right, one final thing, and I think Andrew has one more after this one, and then we'll wrap it up. But number seven here on the list is be generous and give things away for free. Lots of authors, especially wide authors with long series, are happy to do the free series starter to suck people in to buy the rest of the books in their series, and I am in that category. And authors also know that they're supposed to write an exclusive bonus to entice people onto their newsletter, but sometimes that's all they ever do. Uh, everything they give away for free is kind of a scheme designed to get something from the reader, either a newsletter sign-up or to buy more books in the series. I'm a strong believer that you should do some things just because, as a thank you to your fans. Uh, and being because being generous and giving away extras helps turn people from readers into super fans. Uh, you know, if you've ever had that experience yourself when uh, you have an author you love and then they put some story up for free on their website, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I totally would have paid for that, but that's the coolest thing. You want to be that author that is doing something that is really cool for your readers, uh, even if you don't have that many books yet. So you can't just you can't just like throw something up on Book Funnel and say, "Hey, here's a, here's a free box set that uh, you may not have read yet." Uh, but you can do some small bonus materials that don't actually take that long, like character interviews put up on your blog, or cut scenes that you might have taken out of the manuscript when you're writing, or a short story that you know maybe that only takes you a day to do. Like uh, like I did a short Christmas story. It was it wasn't supposed to be a story. A lot of these start as like bonus scenes that I just write and I'm going to throw up on my blog. Uh, but I always end up trying to kind of make them into a story. You know, it's about 5,000 words. Didn't take that long to do. And the readers really enjoyed it because it was just, it's one of those things like you probably as a fan know how much you love like dorky Christmas specials or like behind the scenes stuff with these characters that you really love. And, you know, they really appreciate that kind of stuff. And it also, you know, going back, it's okay to scheme guys, but <laughs> going back to the, the you know, it can help with marketing too, because it's the kind of thing that your super fans will share around. You know, if you share on Facebook, hey guys, I just wrote this little Christmas bonus story with my characters from the series that I've been releasing on, stuff like that. They will share that around way more than like a new release at $5 or something. You know, maybe you get three shares on your new release, but uh, suddenly you've got like 70 shares and it's going to people that have never read your stuff before. And maybe they check it out and they're like, oh, this is interesting. I, you know, and just the, it's the kind of thing we've talked about before. Like it's hard to measure word of mouth marketing other than having your fans tell you, or they tag you on Facebook or something when they mention your books in another post, you don't really get a feel for how often that's going on. But I know just because people have told me that there's a lot of other people that have told their friends to read the books or pointed them to an extra bonus blog post like that or something uh, without ever telling me. And that's the most powerful stuff. Like that's <laughs> like way better than paying for advertising. Uh, so being that kind of author that gives away free, cool stuff to your readers and not always worrying about getting paid for something. I think that you'll find that comes back and helps you become more successful in the long run. Um, the thing, the number one thing that stood out to me just now from what Lindsay was saying was share 70 shares, shares ears are totally burning right now. because We're talking about her so much. Sorry, the singer in case anybody knows. Um, so all of my short stories and novels that don't do well are available for free because, um, I'm like, they're not downloading anyway. Like I'm not going to be making money on them anyway. So why not have them be given away for free? 
So, and since I've posted them as free or put them up as free, I've noticed a big uptick in downloads on them. Um, cause casual readers wouldn't ever buy them. They're not my main series. They don't, they're interesting looking, but they're not compelling. Like people are like, eh, I don't want to read a short story. Okay. But with them being free, it's, it's easy. It's simple for them. And they add to the stories, like the main stories that they're, you know, like it's like a mosaic chronicle stories or story or whatever. Um, and it converts casual readers into true fans. So that's something that I do. And I, you know, consider doing that. Um, also consider running regular giveaways that are just for your newsletter subscribers. So spoil your newsletter subscribers, make them value being on your list and being, be grateful for being on your list. Um, I used to do a giveaway every other week for $10 and that wasn't a bank breaker. You know, that's $20 a month, totally easy. I mean, we pay $20 a month all the time to all these software companies that help us. But um, my readers absolutely love that. And it gave them a reason to stick around. And it made me feel good because I knew I was helping people who needed the money. And I occasionally would have a reader, have a reader be like, I don't need the money, but um, how about you give it to, you know, you know, somebody else or whatever. And so I, you know, I don't know why they'd enter the giveaway if they didn't need the money. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, maybe, maybe, maybe I should start that up again. Uh, I have given away a lot of stuff. I, I was thinking, I was like, I really like writing that short stuff for fun and giving it away. And I'm like, I haven't done it recently. I wonder why not. I was like, oh, because a lot of that stuff is in Patreon now. But I give away the stuff afterward. Like, I, I'm, I'm selling the Patreon collection, but that's all the oddball stuff that's not part of another series. The stuff that is part of another series is a separate set of releases that I do. And I typically give those away, either as a newsletter perk or just on, you know, as a, as a you know, product. Uh, and also every April Fool's Day, people have become aware. Uh, I will do a, a a crossover story where a bunch of characters from my different stories will, for some reason or another, uh, meet each other. And it became an annual tradition that people like remind me about. I forgot one year, and I was reminded like you didn't do an April Fool's story this year. Like, oh gosh darn it! Let me get on that. So I had like a late April Fool's one. So yeah, you can start like fun little traditions like that. And if you're giving it away, you can sort of make it. I don't know, more experimental because people are more likely to take a chance on something that's not going to cost them anything. And also you can make a, a, a free thing, not part of the, of the Canon storyline. So like, yeah, it's a lot of it, like, it doesn't have to be very long at all. We're talking 800 words. Uh, and it was something that people were looking forward to over the course of an entire year. So you can really, they're, they're, they're fun to do. Okay. I will say, and I have not done this, if you do a lot of those things and post them on your blog later on, it's probably a good idea to put them to together in a collection and people can get the ebook if they want it. Cause every now and then I get emails, you know, remember that one thing where I've been looking all over and I haven't been able to find it. And I'm like, I think that was like a bonus on my blog five years ago. It's still on there if you search for it, but there are some people who, who will want the permanent ebook for their collection. Um, yeah, I'll pass it back to Andrea for one more. I think Joe has one more too. And, and it's one that I was like, that's a good what? one. <laughs> <laughs> he stuck that in there when I wasn't looking. <laughs> um, okay. So my point is this, uh, authors, and I'm going to try to go fast because I know we're over time and my voice isn't going to hold out. So authors can't expect, can't expect to go from being a part-time author to a career author without being willing to put the time in. Meaning you can't make a full-time career out of something you only do once a week or an hour a day. If you aren't willing to put full-time hours into it, it probably won't pan out. Um, in the beginning, this might mean sacrificing something you enjoy like TV or sleep or food, not food. I mean, we all have to eat, but, <laughs> um, or whatever, but finding something that, that you can cut out 
and, and replace with writing. Um, releasing consistently and frequently requires hours every single week and authors need to pick which hours those will be, then not allow anything to get in the way of those hours if that, if at all possible. And then once you're a full-time author, recognize that you need to be, need to continue being a full-time author to make the money. You can take time off, but doing it too much will hurt downloads and, and the release of future books. Like I've got author friends that are like, I'm a full-time author and they're only doing it for two hours a day. And then they complain that they're not making money. That's why you're not making money. If you say you're a full-time author and you're allotting eight hours a day to your business, but you're only doing two hours of business work or writing work a day, you're not going to become a career author or stay one. Yeah. It's, it's tough when you're also in that position where you're still working full-time and you've got kids and a lot of those people have to get up really early or stay up really late to kind of find the time consistently to actually get the novels out there. And it's tough. You have to have a why, you know, you have to be really motivated in doing it for a reason then. Yeah. Just quickly, my final point on here is, um, try to find multiple income sources. Uh, in my case, that means being wide, but you don't have to be wide to have multiple income sources because there's also audiobooks and translations and paperbacks and hardcovers. And, you know, basically uh, try to make every book multiple ways to earn money, uh, but balance it because you don't want to choose something that's going to take a huge time investment and not make a lot of money back. Like narrating your own audiobook may sound like a fantastic idea, but if it turns out you're not going to be able to sell an awful lot of those, it's a huge time investment with very little, you know, return. So broaden your stance, but make sure that everything is worth its while. Yeah, that kind of goes back to too, where we're talking about like, look at the data or the things you've already got out. Like you may find that you, like, I know Joe, you sold, or may probably still do. Apple has done some promos for you and it's become like a really big seller. So you may want to double down and like, Hey, do you guys want to do that thing again, where I'm exclusive there in the beginning? You know, if you can find a rep in the store where you're doing well, uh, you, you know, and then sometimes if you're 90% of your sales are from Amazon and you're like, really fighting to make the wide thing work and just not gaining traction. I don't think you have to feel like a failure, you know, if you're going to go all in with Amazon for the next couple of years, just make sure you're saving that money and investing it or putting it aside or something. And like we said, you don't have to be exclusive with audio and, and other things, but figure out what's working best for you and do more of that. So that's the theme of the show. There we go. We got a theme. All right. Any final words, guys? I think I'm done. The final words have been said. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. And we still have the Facebook group. We pop in now and then, Six Figure Authors on Facebook. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes too. Or you can just search for it. I think that's it. Bye-bye. See everyone later. So long, everybody.